Welcome to the latest episode of Your Wealth with Gemma Dale, a podcast series designed to help you create, grow and protect your wealth. Hi and welcome to this episode of Your Wealth. I'm Gemma Dale, NAB Trades Director of SMSF and Investor Behaviour. Well, the rise of tech is something we've been talking about for years now and suddenly we have the arrival of ChatGPT, which is really reignited our fascination with really disruptive technology and potential investment opportunities. And yet at the other end of the scale, we suddenly have the collapse of one of the key funding mechanisms for tech, Silicon Valley in particular. How much is it changing the opportunity for the tech space? And is that really where we should be looking for our opportunities in the future? Mary Manning is a portfolio manager at Alfinity Investment Management. She's worked with George Soros and Howard Marks. She's incredibly well positioned to talk about markets, about risks, and about the opportunities for the very bold in these interesting times. Mary, thanks so much for joining me. Thanks so much for having me, Gemma. It's uh, it's so great to have you back. It's been quite a while and you've given us so much to talk about in the past, but at the moment, things are moving really quickly. We sort of headed into 2023 with a really, really strong uh, rise in the NASDAQ and the S&P 500. It's come right back. There's so much going on. The most extraordinary recent news is the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank, which was a huge shock in most markets and a huge shock for tech because it's led to some serious questions about where technology businesses, particularly those companies in their pre-profit stage, are going to find their funding after this incredible decade of very generous terms for startups. Can you talk to us about what funding mechanisms techs have been using over the last decade, where they've been getting their money from, and whether this collapse of Silicon Valley Bank is either a symptom and potentially a cause of funding challenges now? Yeah, it's a very timely question and a very good one. Uh, I guess the first thing to highlight is that I went to a VC conference in San Francisco in the very beginning of January. So this was after ChatGPT has sort of exploded on the scene, but before Silicon Valley Bank had gone under. And one of the biggest VCs in America got up on stage and he said, Part of the problem right now is that for the last you know, three to five years, the fatality rate among startups has been zero. If you were any startup and you wanted funding, you could get first round funding. You could generally get second round funding. You could get third round funding. And so he said the problem is that every marginal startup and every marginal competitor was actually getting funded. And that meant that there was just way too many startups and that there needed to be sort of a culling of, of the startups that, that shouldn't be surviving. And then sure enough, you know, two months later when SVB Bank um, has now gone under, I think that process is going to be accelerated because SVB really was right in the center of that tech ecosystem, particularly in in San Francisco. So what that means for tech more broadly, I think you have to differentiate between um, you know the the companies that are reliant on that sort of ecosystem and then the companies which are, are self sustaining. So the tech ecosystem, yes, there's going to definitely be a, a shake up there, and then also sort of unprofitable tech or companies that in different environments they'd be able to IPO and access the the capital. Markets, even though they remain unprofitable, I think that window has probably shut for them. 
But on the other side of the tech spectrum, and these are the companies that we focus on and certainly the ones that we invest in, you have the big tech behemoths that are, you know, trillion dollar plus market cap companies. They have very, very strong cash flows. They have fortress balance sheets. And in this kind of environment, those kind of companies can get even bigger and they can be winners out of this sort of environment. It's called like winner takes most in terms of if you're strong, you get stronger in these kind of environments. And if you're weak, you die off. So I think that's sort of what's happening in Silicon Valley right now. And it will continue to play out over the next 12 to 18 months. Yeah, it's quite an extraordinary shift. I think we've all felt intuitively that at some point the party was going to be over for any idea. You know, there's this idea that any idea could get funding regardless of whether or not you could make it work and you could run it at a loss almost indefinitely and someone would be willing to put money behind you so long as you were growing at an extraordinary rate. Let's talk about the alternative to that. So this winner-takes-most idea is also relatively familiar, but it carries its own risks. What sort of winners do you think are going to emerge or have already emerged from what's changing? Yeah, I think that the winners that have already emerged, it's important to highlight how big they already are. So MSCI World, which is is our, our benchmark for the global fund, 10 years ago, tech and IT was about 10, 11% of the benchmark. Today, it's 23. And if you add in communication services, which is companies like Google and Netflix, it's about 30%. So really, you've already seen this, this huge um, explosion of the importance of tech in, in global benchmarks. And emerging markets benchmarks are similar. If you look at it right now, the top five weights in MSCI EM are all Chinese tech companies, or all tech companies. So you have um, TSMC, Samsung, Alibaba, Tencent, and Meituan. Those are the, the top ones. And if you add those up, those are actually bigger than all of Latin America. Um, similar in the, in, in the MSCI world, the tech sector is, is bigger than, or actually just the weight of Apple and Microsoft is bigger than all of the 200 plus stocks in Japan. So really in terms of winner take most, um, you know, this is something that, that's been in play for the last 10 years. But I think it's going to continue going forward and there's going to be some new winners and some, some new losers. In terms of subsectors um, that that could be winners, one is generative AI, and I think we'll talk about that a little bit later in terms of ChatGPT and what that means for the tech sector in general. Cloud is a long-term, multi-year thematic, which is going to continue to play out. So co companies that are cloud companies or have exposure to that will be winners. And then on the loser side, from a subsector perspective, I think um, social media is probably a loser. We've seen the demise of Twitter, all the struggles at Snap. Um, you know, Meta is actually doing a decent job because it's cutting costs, but the long-term revenue generation of, of some of its apps are, are questionable. And I think part of the reason for social media, um, you know, being a loser is that the end customer is, is potentially quite fickle and there's there's no switching costs. So I know I have I have teenagers. I know your kids might be a little bit younger, Gemma, but when they become teenagers, they um like they just have no customer loyalty. Like Snap is cool today. And, and if Snap isn't cool tomorrow, they'll just move somewhere else. And I was talking to my kids about TikTok because you know it may get banned. And they were like, well, if it gets banned, we'll just watch something else. And so I think in that kind of environment, you know, those companies are going to be losers because um, you know, you customer loyalty is is very, very important. And then from 
a geographic perspective, um, I think the U.S. is going to continue to be a winner. And despite the, the issues with Silicon Valley Bank, there's just such an enormous amount of, of momentum and ecosystem in the U.S. around technology that's going to continue to be a winner. Um, I think China is going to continue to be a winner. And we have had the recent news about Alibaba breaking into six different companies, which is really exciting for, for Chinese tech as, as a sector. But on the loser side, I think that uh, Japan and Europe are going to be losers. So I got invited to a European tech conference that's happening in a few months time and I, I looked at the company presenting list there was not one company there that I, I wanted to meet. Um, similarly Japan there is some hardware companies there and some sort of idiosyncratic technology companies but they have really not made the leap like the US or China or other Asian countries to have sort of like Japanese tech companies that are global leaders. So that's how to sort of how I would would highlight the winners and losers both from a subsector perspective and from a geographic perspective. Oh, you've raised so many things there. <laughs> uh, yes, my children are a little bit younger and thankfully they haven't discovered TikTok yet or not to the best of my knowledge, but my son has discovered the Xbox and I think that tells you a great deal about where customer loyalty might lie. Uh, we'll probably ask some questions about that, but your point about not one single company you want to meet uh, at a European conference is absolutely fascinating. Can we jump first into AI and you mentioned the extraordinary potential there because it is the hot topic and it is the field that has been bubbling away as an area of extraordinary potential opportunity. Now that ChatGPT is in the public domain and the general public can have a fiddle around with it and see its potential, the conversation's exploded. You know, you no longer have to be a tech genius to have a real feel for what's possible. And that seems to have been the case with almost all of the other disruptive technologies. Once it's in the hands of, you know, average show, suddenly it uh, it explodes. What are your thoughts about that? We've hit the scene. It's a practical example. Where do we go from here? So you raise a very good point that this has been around for a long time. So Google is one of the companies that I, I cover. And if you look at some of their large language models or LLMs like Lambda, these have been around for decades, but it was engineers that talked to them. And the important part about ChatGPT is that it sort of brought it to the, the masses. And uh, it's been commentated that this is kind of the iPhone moment for generative AI because it's it's going to the, to the masses. So it is very, very important. The second thing to highlight about ChatGPT is that it was ChatGPT3 that launched in November and sort of brought it to the, the world stage, but we're already on ChatGPT4. And, um, you know, it's not that many months later and there's been some significant upgrades. So this is a, a, a subsector of technology which is moving um, very, very fast. In terms of where we go from here, I'll highlight a few things. Um, we sort of break the implications of, of chat GPT and generative AI into, into different sections. So one is you have the applications of AI. These would be companies like Microsoft or, or Google, ServiceNow, Workday. And then you have the actual large language models themselves, um, OpenAI, which is the company that owns chat GPT, um, Google and Meta. Then there's the whole infrastructure piece behind um, AI, which could be like Arista or, or Juniper or you know, some of the cloud companies. And then lastly, hardware, which would be NVIDIA and AMD. So if you look at it from a, from a high level perspective, it's not just AI companies in specifically, it's a whole broad area of, of tech that can, can benefit from um, this move towards generative AI. The second thing I'll highlight is that this is not just 
a tech thing. So financial services, for example, different parts of healthcare, particularly biotech, they are going to be beneficiaries of being able to use AI. And it can have very profound implications in terms of the products that they offer and also in terms of their cost base. So, um, you know, again, I mentioned I went to that, that conference in San Francisco right after ChatGPT had launched. And one of the comments there, which really stuck in my brain, was that ChatGPT, for exactly what it is, is probably overhyped for the moment. But for what generative AI could be as a concept for the long term, it is massively, massively underhyped. So that's sort of what where we're trying to figure out right now is where are the exact specific earnings implications of what's happening with AI right now? And then what does that mean for the longer term as these changes start to come through and actually impact companies' financials? Yeah, that's such an extraordinary question. And I think the potential implications are so enormous. It's really challenging to break it down. We all have a very bad habit of seeing a long-term thematic and throwing money at the most obvious application and not necessarily thinking about the broader applications, which might actually be where the real opportunity lies. One of the biggest questions about AI, and it's being reported right now in real time with Elon Musk whose star has fallen quite a long way, but who still has some uh, some sway, and Steve Wozniak and many others talking about the real ethical risks with AI, how quickly it's developing and the and the downside implications. Do you give some thought to that? We give an immense amount of thought to that, Gemma, and have for about two years now. So I find it a little bit frustrating how, um, you know, now this is coming to the fore, but this has actually been a risk which people have been aware of for, for quite some time. And the reason that we started looking at it around two years ago was because Alfinity has um, some sustainable strategies. We have a domestic sustainable share fund, and we also have a global sustainable fund. And these funds align with the UN Sustainable Development Goals. And obviously, a huge focus of those SDGs is on climate change and, and the environment. But we also recognize that if people get AI wrong, and you, you may have seen that movie from many years ago called iRobot, and it was kind of you know a, a joke fiction at the time, but just stay with me for a second in terms of if people get, get AI wrong and robots take over and it's a serious threat to the human race, that could happen sooner and that could be a more serious threat than climate change. And so we started thinking, okay, we spend so many hundreds of hours talking to companies and thinking about climate change. And it's a very, very important real risk. And we continue to do that work, but to not spend any time at all on the ethical and responsible investing risks with respect to AI seemed imbalanced. So we started thinking of what is a framework to even think about responsible investing in AI because none really existed um, certainly internally and not really externally either. So we came up with a sort of three-point program or, or framework. It looks at AI design and the ethical and responsible investing risks um, with respect to design, AI application, because you can design something with a good intent, but if it's applied in a, in a negative way, then that's where some of the risks lie. And then also AI governance, um, which is something a lot of companies haven't really gotten around to thinking about in their overall ESG. And um, we did a lot of work on this, and then we didn't really have any experts to sort of run our thoughts past. So we contacted some people at the Data61 uh, program at CSIRO, and now we're engaged in a, a collaboration with them to move forward and engage with companies and use um, our framework and a lot of data that they have to continue to work on this important subject. So I think this is going to be one of the issues uh, going forward because it's something where there's a big disconnect between the level of risk and the amount of work that's actually been done on it. It's, uh, it's encouraging to know that the work is being done. I think when you've got some of the most 
uh, vocal enthusiasts for technology in the world saying we need to slow down and we need to give this more thought, uh, knowing that there's work being done on that. It gives everyone a little bit of comfort. If you look to the potential upside of AI, what gets you most excited? You've talked about quite a broad range of areas that it could have extraordinary potential. What do you like most? So at Alfinity, we follow earnings leadership. So that means we are looking for stocks that are in an earnings upgrade cycle. And the thing about AI right now is, as, as you mentioned previously, it's really exciting from a conceptual level, but it's hard to see that coming into earnings on a near-term basis. So the two companies where we actually can see that coming into earnings on a near-term basis are Microsoft and NVIDIA. Uh, Microsoft is obviously one of the owners of OpenAI, which is the, the, the owner of ChatGPT. And then NVIDIA is probably the most important winner from a hardware perspective. So those are ones where, where even in the, by the end of 2023 or certainly by 2024, you should actually be able to see an earnings impact from AI. So that's where we're, we're focusing uh, right now. And my colleague um, Trent Masters covers those stocks. The other areas where we see um, sort of bigger opportunities uh, long term are probably in the, in the infrastructure part. And then it's also important to highlight that, you know, back to our original conversation about winners and losers, there, there may be some losers here. And Google is a stock where I've spent a lot of time trying to figure out whether it's going to be a loser. Because as you know, they, they have a competing product now, which is called Bard, and they really messed up the launch of Bard. It didn't work properly. It gave the wrong answer. And they had to have Google employees try to test it out to see if it worked. And it's been a bit of a PR disaster, and it's unclear whether that technology is as good as ChatGPT. So that is, um, you know, they, they have a lot to lose in terms of their market share in search. And if they don't get AI right, um, that could mean that they, they continue to lose market share um, to other companies. So that's some of the work that we're doing right now. I'd say on the winner side, Microsoft and NVIDIA are the first ones that will actually see it in earnings. That's really interesting. And your your comments about BARD are really fascinating. This is a totally random anecdote, but I thought about AI when I was doing it. I Googled the amount of protein in an egg this morning. And I say Googled, I wasn't in Google. I was in Bing, didn't realize, just on my laptop. And it came up and said 20 grams. And I went, oh, intuitively, I think that's wrong. And I realized that they've served me up a goose egg as the example. <laughs> I'm like, how is your search engine searching up goose eggs when I've clearly looked for a chicken's egg. Anyway, it was one of those extraordinary scenarios where you're like, there's an, there's a whole lot of code written behind this and it's not searching for the right thing. And surely at this stage of our development, we all know what everybody's looking for, but apparently not, apparently not. Are there any areas that you're really conscious of the risk reward perhaps not quite being there yet. When we talk about all these amazing opportunities, we talk about the excitement. Are people paying too much in some areas? Are they overhyping? What are the ones that you're going, oh, I just can't see it yet? So I think the areas where we are still steering clear is unprofitable tech. And it comes back to your, your earlier question about SVB. These companies, it is unclear to me whether they're ever going to make money, whether they should ever have existed at the level of market cap that they had before things started to sell off. And so we are not at all tempted to sort of bottom fish in, in that area of, of technology. I think um, that is extremely risky to, to be playing in um, right now. There are other areas of tech that um, don't have anything to do with AI, where we see a lot of um, upside. One would be in cybersecurity, 
because even though you know there are some cuts to tech budgets, particularly in the US, cybersecurity is one thing when you listen to all the CTO surveys that nobody is cutting because it's a real you know near and present danger to, to companies. And so we own a company called Fortinet, which is a beneficiary there. And then also a little bit, you know, sitting on the fence between tech and consumer, um, really like two-sided marketplace companies like Airbnb and, you know, e-commerce fintech companies like Mercado Libre in Brazil. Those are companies where we think the risk reward is, is very attractive. And then unprofitable tech is, is the area where the risk reward remains very unattractive. I think both of those areas give investors a lot to think about. Are there any areas outside tech? that are also exciting you at the moment? Or are we still going to think as we look to the next 10 years, tech is where it's at, that's where the growth is, that's the real, real opportunity for us to look to? I think we need to differentiate between tech as, you know, IT as a sector in, in MSAI benchmarks and tech more at a conceptual level. So Mercado Libre, for example, is considered a consumer stock because they sell stuff to people. But it is very, very much a technology company um, at its core. If you look at some of the financials right now, um, you know, they, they are technically still sitting in MSCI financials, um, but they're actually tech companies um, at their core. So, yeah, I, I'm quite excited about some of the more consumer leaning um, technology companies, and I mentioned before, Airbnb and um, Mercado Libre are examples there. Um, I would be remiss to do this podcast and not mention uh, Chinese tech, because the announcement earlier this week about Alibaba splitting up, I think, is, is a very important game changer uh, for a number of reasons. Um, one is that it significantly reduces the key man risk associated with, with uh, Alibaba or key person risk. Now there'll be you know six people. Uh, it also reduces regulatory risk because you know before, if there's a, a regulatory issue with, with one part of Alibaba, it sort of infects all the other uh, parts of it. And it also means just from an analyst perspective and a, an evaluation perspective, all of those, some of the parts analysis that people have done so frequently over the years it now actually could make sense if some of those different business units um, eventually get spun off or or IPO separately or even you know raise capital separately. So I think that sort of that restructuring and what that means for the rest of the Chinese tech sector is something that could be quite exciting on a medium term view. Oh, I love that you covered that. Uh, Alibaba's one; it continues to be the most popular. Chinese tech story that our investors are interested in, but it's obviously become increasingly complex over the last couple of years. And Jack Ma's sort of disappearance, for want of a better term, really rattled people. You've alluded to regulatory risks. I might close on this question because it applies to perhaps all of the companies we've talked about. Cybersecurity is obviously an enormous threat to any company that has any exposure to the internet, which is, I imagine, every company in the world. We also have the regulatory risk, though. There is obviously going to be some long-term reg risk around AI as governments work out how to grapple with the new technology. Are there any other regulatory risks that really stand out to you at the moment? Uh, no, I think that actually, if you think back maybe two or three years ago, there was all this antitrust risk around the big tech companies, and that seems to have, have sort of significantly um, died off. And now you have very specific uh, regulatory risk highlighted, like like you said before, whether it's cybersecurity or whether it's specifics around AI. And, and that is actually, uh, from an investing perspective, makes it a little bit easier because you can identify exactly which companies um, are related to that risk and, and have that risk 
rather than this big overarching, you know, there's something wrong with the fang mans and, and the US regulators are going to try to um, split them up. The one thing that, that actually still is growing and I think is going to be a thematic for the rest of my investing career is the sort of, I'll call it geopolitical slash regulatory risk. And whether that's the US, you know, sort of clamping down on, um, you know, Chinese semiconductor companies or the geopolitical risk around Taiwan or the banning of TikTok because of data and data security. I think that area of regulation is going to continue to grow and be increasingly important over the next few years. Yeah, I think that's an incredibly powerful and relevant point for investors to uh, to keep an eye on. Mary, you and your team do extraordinary research. You're obviously working across such a range of fields that the average person doesn't have access to. You publish a number of insights and ideas on your website. Where do people go to find out more about you guys and what you're working on? If you go to uh, alfinity.com.au, uh, you can find everything that we uh, report on and everything that we write and our monthlies. It's, it's all on the company's website. And yeah, there's a lot of good stuff on there. So if you have some time, um, you know, feel free to check it out. Mary Manning from Alfinity, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Gemma. Thank you so much for listening. Also, as always, we love hearing from you. We get fabulous feedback from you guys. You ask excellent questions and we love knowing what topics you want to hear about. This was most certainly one of them. Uh, so please just email us at yourwealth@nab.com.au, And I look forward to talking to you again soon. I'm Gemma Dale. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to Your Wealth with Gemma Dale. To stay up to date, please subscribe to this podcast series or email us at yourwealth at nab.com.au. Please note that any advice provided in this podcast has been prepared without taking into account your objectives, financial circumstances or needs. Before acting, you should consider the appropriateness of the information. To find out more, please visit nab.com.au.